what a restriction that is in terms of if you look at, you know, people who are immunocompromised or people who are disabled, like their barriers to care that they need. Um, that was really brought to light in the pandemic when, you know, any other healthcare provider outside of a reproductive sphere would be able to like prescribe you medicine over like telehealth appointments and here we are at the height of a global pandemic where a healthcare setting provides even more covid induced anxiety for a lot of people and we're requiring them to come in person to a health center in order to get a prescription for pills that are prescribed over the counter outside of america you know so it just makes things even harder in terms of travel and also in terms of health and safety for abortion patients who have to come come in person and see us. This is Claire Rashado with KBFM and you're listening to Row on the Rocks, a limited series podcast about what abortion access looked like in America while Roe was still the law of the land. Music in this episode is Ragtime by Peerless, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Tune in next Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear more. Welcome to Radio Awakened, produced at KRBX in Boise, Idaho, exploring the furthest reaches of human potential, the show that deep dives into becoming the best of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Sapiro. Today's show is on hope, unconditional love, and time travel with Dr. Julia Mossbridge. I'm not sure when there was a time in human history when we as a species didn't struggle to survive and live lives of meaning and purpose. But I do know that right now, during the COVID pandemic and all the social and civil unrest in America, we as a nation are in a crisis point. What we often don't realize is that this current struggle is the human experience unfolding as it always has. 
wars, famines, natural disasters, civil unrest, uncivil unrest, are just as some of the challenges we're faced in our own evolution, and we will undoubtedly face in the future. And yet here we are, adapting, growing, transforming, not in spite of, but because of these circumstances. It is here in the midst of the inner and collective struggle where advances in science and technology moves us into the future, where new medicines are created and distributed, and where we return our attention to the heart and soul of traditional and indigenous wisdom practices to help us cope, connect to the earth and ancestors, to the spirit of life, and even thrive during crisis. To transform the collective, we often need to start by transforming ourselves, inwardly learning to love ourselves and foster a deep sense of hope for our futures. Today's show explores a newer science of transformation called hope technology that my guest and her team are developing out of the Institute of Love and Time, or TILT. TILT's vision reads, we envision a world where unconditional love and time travel are embraced and integrated into being. Say what? It sounds straight out of a sci-fi novel. And if I hadn't spent the last year working closely with Dr. Mossbridge on her latest study on hope, unconditional love, and time travel, I might not believed it myself. While the technology might not be ready to have us physically travel through time, as far as I know, we can all learn to travel in time in our hearts and minds, bringing love through the bridge of awareness to our most wounded and vulnerable selves in the past and connecting to our wisest and most loving future selves. This type of mental time travel brings us inner stability, a steady heart, and a deep sense of hope that no matter what comes, we will be okay. And right now, we need to know we will all be okay. And there are people who are leading us right now during these times of collective transformation. And my guest, Julia Mossbridge, is one of them. So Dr. Julia Mossbridge is a fellow at the Institute for Noetic Sciences, an associated professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies, and the executive director of the nonprofit TILT, the Institute for Love and Time. She is best known for her research in mental and physical time travel, artificial intelligence, and consciousness. She has rigorously researched a wide range of fascinating phenomenon, including precognition, future orientation, unconditional love, and how sound influences mood and cognition. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for being here with me. Welcome, Julia. Thanks, Dr. Mike. Or do people call you Mike? Mike's fine. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, what a, what a great um, summary of where we are in the world today and uh, my uh, unusual take on <laughs> where we need to go. <laughs> yeah, I am excited to have you share such kind of seemingly sci-fi um, thoughts and science um, and, and a new paradigm you're bringing to the world through your science of time travel and unconditional love. I don't think most people are familiar with the concept of time travel outside of sci-fi. Might, might that be a good place for us to start? Yeah, absolutely. So I break down time travel into um, three different types of time travel. So in sci-fi, we're used to combining all three types. So mm. the three types are physical, informational, and mental. Mm. 
So let's break it down. Physical time travel would be, um, physical without the other two, would be you put an object in a time machine and it shows up in the past or the future. Mm. And then it comes back and it, and it indicates, you know, like if it's a watch, it's now either late or late or uh, early, depending on where it's been. So it indicates that it's been somewhere else in time. And there's got to be other evidence for that too. So that's physical time travel. That's mostly what people think about time travel. Informational time travel is getting information sort of from the wrong direction in time. So we're used to getting information from the past, like when mm -hmm. we remember something. It's kind of like informational time travel in the sense that something happens and then later we can remember it, right? But informational time travel, the way I'm talking about it, is getting information from where you normally wouldn't, like getting information mm -hmm. from the future. So that's just information. Like if you, like if at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, if we got a little note from the future that said, you know what, it turns out wearing masks is really helpful. So mm -hmm. <laughs> just wear a mask regardless of what you hear. That might have been useful information. Mm. Will, and then, will, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I just wondered, will people believe that? You know, how, how mm -hmm. likely is it? Because it's not in the paradigm of the way we operate usually to think about information coming from the future. So right. how likely are people to actually know what they're getting and then believe sure. it? Well, let's go then to mental time travel okay. because I think where this all starts, they're, they're, I sort of, I've, I've kind of mapped out what we're going to need as a culture, I believe, to get to the point we, we will believe things like that and actually mm. use them strategically. And I think the first step is mental time travel. So mental time travel is accessible to everyone right now. And we can even do a little mental time travel exercise if you want. And, mm. and it is, in fact, provably relatable to hope. So mm. um, there's research on how mental time travel, certain mental time travel practices can help boost um, is your sense of deep hope. Mm -hmm. So we can do one if you'd like, but um, of course I always like it. Um, <laughs> but mental time travel is allowing your sort of model of, of who you are to travel in time in your imagination. And we do this when we remember, oh, I remember when I was six and I was in the garden and something happened. Um, we also do this when we imagine ourselves in the future Mm -hmm. Oh, when I get that job, it'll be like this. But you can also mm -hmm. do mental time travel with um, times that you don't, when you don't know what's going to happen. You don't have an idea of what will happen. And maybe you're a little scared about what will happen. Mm. Um, or you could do mental time travel to talk to a past self in your mind. This is all in your mind to comfort yourself um, during a time that was difficult. Mm -hmm. I think once people get used to the value that comes from connecting with themselves over time, people will start loosening up a little bit around the idea of informational time travel and physical time travel. I and I think, I think that's important because physicists are currently working on both informational and physical time travel, some physicists. And so eventually when we get there, we ought to be ready for that concept. I see. So, are you, you? Do you find yourself spending most of your time working on um, bringing concepts and the experience of mental time travel to to the world, or are you also doing a bit of all three? Yeah, I'm kind of working on all three. The the one that's more public 
mm -hmm. uh, that I talk about more is the mental time travel because you don't need any special equipment. Mm. <laughs> so, right. you know, anyone could do it. And also it's helpful and it usually puts people in a good mood. So what's not to love about that? But right. then I, I spend time sort of quietly on my own researching the other things as well. Just in case you're joining us right now, uh, you're listening to Radio Awaken. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, and I'm talking to Dr. Julia Mossbridge on hope, unconditional love, and time travel. And we're just having a conversation about the three different types of tra time travel that can be studied or, or looked at as a concept, which uh, she's saying is um, physical time travel, informational time travel, and then mental time travel. And so we're spending a little bit of time on the mental time travel because that's where we as a general public can really get a sense of it. We can go backward looking at our childhood. We can imagine our future selves. We can create this relationship with all of ourselves over time. Um, so I guess that that's a, that's a great way of having people understand uh, time travel before we get to the informational and the physical time travel parts, yeah. I think I'd like later in the show to get to how mental time travel uh, leads to hope and greater well-being, but I'm also interested in really understanding more of the informational time travel. And so once you have people get a sense of mental time travel, how does that then lend itself to understanding the informational time travel? Cool. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's say we all believe, okay, I can go back and I can go forward. I get that concept because I do it all the time. Um, how then does that lend itself to understanding or playing with informational time travel? Right. And so once you get used to that concept, I think the, the, the way it leads into informational time travel or learning about that in your own mind is that you're less scared. Mm. So it is less freaky to you. So I've noticed that one of the biggest um, barriers when I talk with people about my research on precognition, which is all about essentially intuition about future events, mm -hmm. um, they get freaked out and say, oh, that's spooky or weird, or you know, what if I'm a witch or something, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> these things that, um, that scare people, either from a religious standpoint, you know, a pro prophecy is, is forbidden, which by the way, it isn't in any, as far mm -hmm. as I can tell, and I've been studying the world's religions and it's pretty clear that prophecy is all over the place in terms mm -hmm. of the bible and other uh, religious texts um or from a scientific standpoint oh um you know it's all bunk it's all coincidence mm. right those are the two directions that people tend to go mm. right and um once you have the experience of connecting with yourself over time you're more likely to be able to take seriously the idea that well if I can connect with my future self, even if it's just a model in my mind of my future self, maybe there's a way in which that self kind of does exist and can pass me information that might be useful. Mm. There's certainly plenty of scientific evidence for that. However, I've noticed that scientific evidence doesn't really convince anybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what I really have, uh, have spent a lot of time doing is helping people get to where they're not scared by the by that because i think that's a better approach to really demonstrating this yeah yeah and a quick side note if if information alone would change people's minds then everybody would stop smoking at this point they'd be like oh it's very clear smoking can kill me it hurts my body i'm i'm done 
um, information alone doesn't change minds. There's a lot more that's needed, of course. Something you said, and it might be a little tangent, but it really got my, really got me interested and excited for a sec, is you said prophecies all over the world, and it's been throughout human history. And I think it may be a natural gift. I think these abilities, precognition and intuition, may be natural gifts of humans. Um, and yet we get scared or we deny. So I just wonder if you could speak for a moment because this show is really about expanded human potential. And even though you just said it very quickly, oh, in all world's religions, there's, there's evidence of prophecy. And yet so many of us deny it or become scared by those gifts. Um, but how do we actually embrace the potential or possibility that we're all able to do stuff like that? I do think it's a natural gift. I think we live in this culture that uh, I think in about 20 years, maybe even 10 years, we'll look back and say, oh, that's when we lived in the culture where we would pretend that that wasn't real. Mm. Um, and we would discourage our kids and tell them it wasn't scientific. But thank God we got through that because it's extremely useful. I sort of see it as we live in this culture. Imagine living in a culture where people said, look, music doesn't exist. You might think you could hum, you know, a song, but that's just like, that's just you moving your lips and your mouth and, and mm -hmm. breathing in a certain way. It's not, there's really no such thing as music. And mm -hmm. then someone might be born with the talent of, you know, a wonderful opera singer but they're discouraged. Like mm. that sounds like music, but trust me, it's really not. Mm. And so I think that does a lot towards convincing people that, you know, this kind of music, this intuition, this this experience of getting information from the future, that that doesn't exist. And that, that does a disservice to people because I do think it's very clear that it's a human potential doesn't mean it's equally distributed in the population, just like musical talent right, is right. not equally distributed, but it does mean that you could probably teach most people, you know, how to sing a song. Do you encourage that in your work? Uh, is this a core, since it sounds like a core belief of yours and as a scientist, you're studying it, do you, um, or how do you encourage this in the world and why would you? Well, I have decided to forego the path of getting a tenure track job at an academic mm. institution so that I could talk to people about this publicly. Mm. So there are actually plenty of scientific researchers who are studying uh, precognition and intuition, but they know it's controversial and they're keeping very quiet about it. Mm -hmm. um, I took the other route. I said, you know, as far as I know, I'm only currently aware of this one life. And so I feel like to me, it is important to talk about this as if it's not taboo, as if it's not some kind of spooky thing that has to be kept in the closet and to come out of the closet and say, look, there's scientific evidence for this. This is happening as it's human potential. It's our birthright. And I will train, I now, um, now that I have been trained in some forms of very, um, very technically, um, involved, but very compelling methods of precognition, such as precognitive remote viewing, which has a ton of scientific data to support it. Um, I now train other people sometimes to do it, although this year I'm taking a year off to get more advanced mm -hmm. training. Um, but it's, 
there's plenty of people who do that kind of training and you can get you can get good training um, from someone who resonates with you with no problem. And so just generally speaking or very uh, an introduction, how do you study this? How does one actually measure precognition or intuition in a way yeah. that's scientifically sound? Right. So the garden variety intuition is sort of the big umbrella term. So that can include things like you just happen to have a really good uh, subconscious awareness of the world around you that feeds up into your consciousness every so often to give you information that other people might not be aware of. Um, but that can include precognitive information. So that's information that you can't get in the current moment, no matter how hard you tried. Mm. Um, it is information that has to come from the future. And so the way you test that particular thing, precognition, is um, you use an experiment. You have to kind of do it in the lab. You can get examples of it. You know, people have dreams of future events mm -hmm. and things that are very detailed. And that's those are examples of potential precognition. Mm -hmm. But really verifying it has to be done with laboratory experiments because what you need to do is have people do something, like choose something, or hook up their body to some physiology equipment. So mm -hmm. like their breath or their heart rate is being monitored or their brain. And then use a random number generator that's totally random mm. to pick something in the future after the measurements have been taken. You see what I mean? So you're always, in the experiment, you're always correlating something that happened in the past with something that happens randomly in the future. Mm -hmm. And if there's this consistent correlation, for instance, in a series of experiments that I studied called pre-sentiment experiments, I think you had Dean Radin on, I think. Yes, he's been on the show, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the, the first folks who did those experiments. Mm -hmm. But others have done it since, and as, as have I, but many others. Um, in that series of experiments, people's physiology predicted the random decision um, of software when the decision was about whether to show an emotional image versus a neutral image, mm. right? Yes, I've read that, yes. Yeah, and so it's like we are, our bodies are preparing for the future. They don't necessarily let our conscious awareness know. Mm. It's like if you were walking in the jungle and there was a saber-toothed tiger about to jump out at you, would you rather know consciously there's going to be a saber-toothed tiger? Mm. Or would you rather your body get adrenaline going and get ready to run um, and not actually tell you consciously? I actually would prefer the second because if I had to think about it, I'd freak out. Right. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So you're saying that the body somehow senses what's coming. And, and yeah. when you have random pictures coming where they have no idea what's coming, and yeah. one of the pictures uh, that randomly shows up is an emotionally kind of um, instigative picture, one that triggers some kind of emotional response, you're saying the body knows it before it's coming on. Yeah, uh, on average. On average, so. Yeah, these aren't even super skilled people. These are just on average, and they are not aware that they're having this experience. This is all physiology. Yeah, it's subperceptible, right? It's the mm -hmm. skin sweat, it's the breath change, heart rate change mm -hmm. that's happening. And I'm guessing there are some people who I'm wondering, like yogis, who are very tuned into their body's um, responses may, in fact, have yep. a bigger or more aware sense of themselves as their bodies are reacting to something coming. 
Well, in fact, Serena Rodi Dougal, um, who studies Tibetan Buddhist uh, meditation, also did some experiments with precognition and found, in fact, mm. that the there's a correlation between the number of hours of meditation and the ability to be consciously aware of future information. So basically, if you want to access, I mean, based on her results, if you want to access your own um, mental time travel and have it move into informational time travel, uh, meditate. Mm, great. Wow. I just uh, used that time to think about what you said. My mind's blown a little bit. I hope our listeners are excited and confused and um, wanting to know more. Really curious is the word I hope they that this conversation is leaving them with. A sense of curiosity about these really special skills we have as human beings that are often denied or not talked about or seen as not possible. And you're saying that you're doing work in the laboratory that's showing actually the opposite. And most of us actually probably do have experiences of intuition, precognition, messages from the future coming to us. And it sounds like there's a way to develop this within ourselves. Um, I would wonder if we can shift for like the, the last part of our talk today on how does mental time travel bolster our sense of hope and our sense that leads to well-being. I think that'd be a great place. We to, gotta tie in unconditional love too. So tell me about right? it. Yeah. 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 Please go ahead. Ready? Yeah. Okay. So the question is, sorry, I, I just need a question because that gets like. Oh, you like, need a question. Yeah, that gets me going. Oh my gosh. Well, what's unconditional love, and how does that relate to time travel and hope? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. So, um, unconditional love is like saying, it's like you're saying to the universe. Whatever there is, I love that. That's, that seems like a large task. So, so many of us struggle with anxieties, worries, depression, fear. We've been hurt by others. We've hurt others. There's so much. And you're suggesting yeah. we love it all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not suggesting it's easy. Yeah. Um, I'm suggesting that that's what unconditional love is. And the reason why unconditional love is a big deal is because it's not that common mm. and it's not so easy. And we can start by unconditionally loving just one thing, mm. right? Just like a little pinprick of unconditional love. And I'd like to start with just some part of my body I can see to make it really physical. Like I really love my feet. I don't, I don't find anything wrong with my feet. You know, mm. I'm not critical of my feet. There's other parts of my body I'm really critical of, but I really love my feet. Mm. So unconditional love for my feet is my starting place. And then I can start to grow that, you know, to start mm. to encompass not only my feet, the insides of my feet, and then the ground that my feet walk on as well as the area the air around my feet as well as the feelings inside of my legs the feeling inside of my body and the feeling inside of my body could be pain mm -hmm. right and so there's this thing that happens when you unconditionally love pain where you can still feel the pain like pain is important to feel because it's a signal that something's wrong right mm -hmm. so you could still feel the pain but it's not suffering Right. It's different. That's great. Yeah. 
because I think unconditional love saying, here's everything in the world, in the universe, and I love it, I love all that is, that starting that with yourself, it's like, you're, it's a relaxing because what you're saying is, you know what, you're just accepting it. You're just saying like, this is what's true. I yeah. am in pain. And it, it's not that it should be some other way. And, and so unconditional love is really this deep form of acceptance. And, and what that seems to do with time, to, and how the heck does that relate to time travel? Yeah. I, <laughs> I just, get it. That's so deep, just what you shared. And if, if we only take that home, that it's so hard to love the wounded parts of us or the parts we don't like or the parts that have been hurt, and that's what I do as a therapist. I'm helping people do that as well. Full acceptance, radical inclusion, but even just starting small with some part of you that you can unconditionally love and grow that as a practice to becoming, uh, so that unconditional love grows beyond that one small part. And now you know the model for how to practice. That is incredibly healing. Just doing that is incredibly healing. Um, I am excited to hear how it relates to time travel and hope. But just that alone is a beautiful message of, of healing and that we can practice that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I would say the number one um, thing that people try to do as they practice that, that I would caution against, is they try to enlarge that circle of unconditional love too quickly to, mm. to, to other people. Mm. And if you can just work on it around yourself for a while and so you feel confident in it, it will naturally open up to other people again you know that in itself might be the the most important message of today's show we're not going to get to cover everything actually there's just not enough time even if i had you back for another hour and a half we wouldn't cover all of this so maybe this just leaves our listeners with enough of hope just hearing this that it's possible to start practicing that maybe we'll just end our show here today and uh, we'll have you back another time to continue looking at hope, um, unconditional love, and time travel. Would that work for you? It sounds great. And I just think if people practice this, they'll, that they themselves will feel how it relates to hope and time travel. It'll become obvious. That's a, that's, that's a great message. Where can people find you? Um, let's see. On Insight Timer, I do a, a hope workout every other Wednesday. So you can find me there. Uh, that's a live thing and then they can also just always find me at loveandtime.org that's that's my website uh, for the institute for love and time we have a whole group of people who are working hard together there including this really amazing meditation researcher and therapist dr mike sapiro thank you for that i'll make sure everyone has a link to your work and thank you so much for bringing such heart and soul to science and to the world I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks a lot, Julia. Thanks, Mike. Just think about your own potential, the things you might experience but deny, um, how you can practice unconditional love for just a small part of yourself and what that might mean for your own healing and growth. What would it take for you to start practicing what Julie was sharing today? I really hope you've enjoyed the show. Music is Lucky 13 by Jeff Coffin and the Mutet. And just a reminder that this is your life to live. So dare to dream and live big and become who you're meant to be. 
This is Radio Awakened, produced at KRBX in Boise, Idaho, and I'm Dr. Mike. Thank you.